Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans 8, so if you'll turn there with me. Romans 8, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, David, for leading us today and for um, Scripture reading this morning. David's done a lot of work to keep the tech side of this going each week and even got some lights for us. You notice we probably look a little different uh, to you today. Hopefully you can see us a little better. So thanks, David, for getting that going. And, and for Tony Bubing for being here, too. You can't see him. He's off camera, but he's been doing our slides every week and 
distancing from us, but he's here too. Um, well, you, as you hear, we're taking a, we're taking a little uh, detour this week from our First John series. Uh, I, I, we almost did it last week, but this week I just felt uh, we needed to address just even more specifically some comfort for us. And so today we're doing a, and actually next week we're doing a little two-week mini, two mini-series called Comfort for the Quarantined, uh, because I think we need it. I know I need it. I know the guys in this room need it. I know you need it at home. So we're doing a little detour. You heard uh, from Romans 8, uh, 8, 8 passage that David read, and we're just going to talk about uh, who God is uh, for a couple weeks and how we can be comforted in this unique time of um, social distancing and, and, and empty grocery store shelves and, and loss of job for some of you. Uh, we just, I think, need it. Uh, and so we're going to do that today. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, bless the word. Bless it even though we're separated by space. Uh, Spirit, you're not. You're present with all of us, and in particular with those of us who trust you. And so use your word today. Open our hearts and minds to the truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in 1854, long time ago, a cholera outbreak took place in London, and it set the city into an absolute panic. London at that time was the largest city in the world with about uh, 2 million people, and people were afraid. They were uh, uncertain what to do. They were scared. They were questioning. They were social distancing. That's not just a new word that we all learned last week. That's taken place in other times of history. Um, but it was a young Charles Spurgeon, who maybe many of you have heard of, a famous Baptist preacher at that time, who was 20 years old uh, at that time when he began his first pastorate at 20. Can you imagine that? Uh, that same year in the biggest city in the world, London, that was in the, the grips of a cholera outbreak. And the recounting of his time, uh, the time there, and it's a quote of his, and the tone and the mood in London of the people there is relevant for us today. He said of that first year in ministry, if there ever be a time when the mind is sensitive, it is when death is abroad. I can recollect, he said, when I first came to London, how anxiously people listened to the gospel. The cholera was raging terribly. There was little scoffing then. You know, there's something in his quote that reminds us and tells us that what we know, there is something about plagues and pestilence that have been through all history, Bible times up to today, something about these plagues and pestilence and death that peels back our mind and opens up our hearts and reveals our deepest fears. Maybe you've seen it in the or heard it in the tone of voice of a family member over the phone. Maybe you've seen the fear in the eyes of a newscaster on CNN or Fox this week. You know, but it does that. These pestilence and times, they reveal our deepest fears. And, and apparently one of our biggest fears was uh, being without toilet paper. We learned that through this. But uh, it does that. They reveal our deepest fears. Well, Spurgeon went on to share a story of visiting, about a visiting a dying man who had, throughout his life, been opposed to Spurgeon and the gospel. And here's what he said about that man, uh, though, later, towards the end of his life. That man in his lifetime had been wont or willing to jeer at me in strong language, he had often denounced me as a hypocrite. Yet he was no sooner smitten by the darts of death than he sought my presence and counsel, no doubt feeling in his heart that I was a servant of God, though he did not care to own it with his lips. Plagues heighten and lay bare the unnatural but common course of life. And what I mean by that is death. Even here in the story of Charles Spurgeon, as he went to this man who in his lifetime called him a hypocrite, but now he says, come talk to me, come comfort me, come counsel me. 
they open up for us opportunities to think freshly about God. Whether we're followers of Christ or you're tuning in today and wondering, you know, why are all these churches streaming these services now? Can't they just not meet for a few weeks? Um, these, these times are unique. Yes, they're hard, but they provide for us a unique time to open up our hearts and minds, as we heard in the story of Spurgeon, and I know it's happening for a lot of you. They intensify our fears, our anxieties, our mortality. And maybe these past few weeks, you've been caught, gotten caught up in uh, uh, the, the statistics and the numbers you've been seeing and, and what level of vulnerability you fall in. And, and, you know, we don't want to be naive optimists, and we should pay attention to those things. We don't want to be naive optimists and flirt with disaster and, and death to show, you know, some heroic holiness right now. There are times for that. I would say, though, this is not one of them, at least not yet. And it's also wise and actually loving our neighbor, which is the second commandment Jesus gave us. And you can actually make a great moral case that it's the right thing to do, right now at least, to keep that social distancing. It's a way we love our neighbor by foregoing our Sunday gathering and foregoing other things we're we're, uh, distancing from. But we also don't want to be resigned pessimists and live in fear. We don't need to do that. And maybe all those worries and anxieties have been causing you to feel even more isolated right now, more alone, more impatient with your family that you're quarantined in close quarters with right now. But I want to encourage you, don't fall into the trap and believe that we as Christians live under chance. We do not, even, what, even though it may look like that right now. Or fall under the, 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 the feeling that percentages or whatever the latest projection by Fox and CNN is, that that's our, our fate. We live under the guidance and the hand of our all-loving, all-powerful, sovereign God. And he's not surprised by this with any of what's going on right now. In fact, he is working through it even for your good. So today, as I said, we're stepping away from our First John series because there's just times in life when you just need to be reminded of the comfort that's available in knowing and trusting God. When trials come, when suffering happens, and when we begin to question God's character, which trials often do, you know, sometimes it, through tough seasons, we begin to identify ourselves by that tough season, by that trial, but if, if, as if that's the only thing that defines us now. And when we do that, we lose our expectancy and our hope. And we begin to only see ourselves by that identity. Well, I'm just the depressed one. That's just who I am. That's what I am. Or I'm the lonely one. Or I'm the insecure one. Or I'm the unemployed one. Or I, I'm the sufferer. We need to remember this morning the comfort that comes in knowing three things. God's grace, God's presence, and God's sovereignty, or providence is another word for it. This morning we're going to look at all three. So hopefully you printed out your outline or you got it open on another tablet or something. We emailed them out yesterday morning, as we will every week. Hopefully you got your Bible open. We'll jump around to a few passages today. Uh, so let's look for at the first comfort, the comfort of knowing God's grace. You know, someday we'll come back to this Romans 8 passage, I, I promise you, and uh, do a more in-depth study. We're not going to do that today. But for today, we're going we're gonna to point to four great comforts in this passage first as it teaches us about God's grace. Romans 8, as you heard David read it, uh, is you, you probably recognize the passage, has been an absolute source of comfort for hundreds of years for God's people. What a great passage. 
And so we're going to look briefly at, the, at these comforts we're going to pull out of this passage. So here's our first one. Grace in a fallen world. Grace in a fallen world. You know, when an epidemic like COVID comes on, we have to remind ourselves that the grace of God has entered into, has come to a fallen world. What can, and, and this can ease our anxiety as Christians. What it does is it lets us know as Christians, we should not be surprised when things like this happen. Look at what Paul says in verses 18 to 25 there. Paul says we live in a, a groaning, a feudal world, a world that's in, in bondage, he says in those verses. Well, and what we can understand from Paul's beginning of this passage here is that suffering is part and parcel with the world we inhabit. It's not surprising or unusual for the Christian to know that suffering is just part of this life right now. We live in a fallen world, and we have ever since our first uh, parents long ago sinned. It's not surprising. It shouldn't catch us off guard. This is just our address, you might say, where we live, a world that sometimes rages with viruses. And you know, we don't know how long this will go on. My own opinion, we, I don't think we're quite at the tail end of this yet. Uh, we don't know how long this will go on. We don't know if more of us will lose our jobs or some of us fall into poverty or want or need or, 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 or not be able to pay rent or, or come down with the virus ourselves. We don't know that. And, and you, some of you are thinking right now, well, this is really comfort for the quarantine, Jeff. Thanks a lot. But to the Christian... Paul is saying, he's reminding us, he's preparing us, he's causing us to look to be more resilient because we know this is not surprising. God's grace has entered into a fallen world. And, and look at the, the world Paul is describing. Futility, bondage, corruption, groaning. We're not caught off guard. We're realistic. We live in a fallen world where this thing can happen, where something like this can happen. But what's surprising is that right in the middle of this discussion of the broken world, you might call it, Paul says our suffering right now or any time in this life is nothing to be compared with what is to come to you and I. Nothing. And he actually uses the words hope and redemption in the middle of this discussion on, um, I think in verses 20 and 21, uh, uh, hope and redemption in the middle of this discussion of this broken world. I mean, it seems out of place even when you read it and hear it in this discussion of how bad the world is. But this means that our suffering, whatever you face, as Paul injects these words, hope and redemption into the brokenness of the world, means that anything you are facing, God is working in it. He's working in it. He will work through it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He has to be able to work in these times. In these trials, in your trials of life, you can't always see it. You can't always know it. But don't you know, if you look back on some of them, hindsight's twenty twenty, that through that trial, he was working for you something so much greater than the trial. And Paul says what he's doing here, the ultimate thing is, he's working out the redemption of our bodies, our resurrection someday, our salvation, our relationship with us. That's what he's ultimately working out for us. I love how Paul Tripp puts it. It's a quote you see on the TV behind me. He says, he describes that same concept this way. God's grace often does its best work, best and brightest work, 
when things are darkest and most difficult. God is both willing and able to bring very good things out of very bad things. And I would say even the best things out of very bad things. As Paul says here, your redemption of your body, your salvation, God is working through this broken world. Grace comes to a fallen world. You know, as realistic as we are about the brokenness of this world, as Christians, we are, we're also more optimistic than anybody else. We have the comfort of knowing that this broken world won't always be broken. And that God is so committed to his people that he will not let anything get in the way of saving them. That's Paul's point. That's what Paul wants you to hear. That's what God wants you to hear today. Comfort for the quarantined. You know, in fact, he uses the darkest and most difficult days even to draw us to himself. Well, that's our first comfort from Romans 8. Let's look at our second one. Grace in the fallen world was first. How about grace that steps in? You know, during my three weeks of having someone uh, fill in to preach for me recently, I experienced um, some of my, I would say, darkest moments ever. A lot of you don't know that. Uh, some of our elders do, some of my closest friends, but um, there were some days when I was so tired from lack of sleep and some of the physical uh, symptoms I was experiencing, I, I, thought, I, I felt at times like I was just going to fall over. You ever felt like that? I know you have. I felt so exhausted and tired. But I also wasn't handling my suffering well. You know, when we suffer, we actually suffer not only from whatever the, the hard thing is that's happened to us. We suffer from that. But if we don't handle it well, as Christians, as followers of God, we also suffer how, however we might handle it poorly. We suffer that consequence as well. But what's so comforting about this passage from Paul is he shows us God steps in to our trouble. He steps into it with grace. Verse 26 and 27 tell us that God steps in. You know, we don't have to have in moments of trial the most theological prayer, the most logical, clear thoughts in our suffering. I didn't at times, and I don't always at times. We just have to cry out to him. Sometimes even a sigh will do, a noise, a moan, a cry. And when we don't know what to say, did you know Paul says here, God's spirit prays for you? He groans for you. His grace, he actually steps in where you can't. It means not only does God want to answer your prayers, that he, it means that he also sometimes prays them for you when you can't. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but he does. And Paul says in 26 and 27, he's praying it for you. He's praying in light of that. <clears throat> His grace steps in. That's our second one. Here's our third. Grace that can't be stopped. It's our third comfort from this passage. <clears throat> Verses 28 to 30 contain, I would say, probably one of the most misunderstood verses in all of the Bible, but it's one of the most comforting, so it's important that we really understand it. Listen to verses 20 through 30 with me. Follow along if you've got your Bible open. And we know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. 
And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You know, many of us read, or maybe have heard in this first verse that all things work together for good and have thought that God is promising there to us that all pain will go away in this life. Or that, hey, I become a Christian and I'm on easy street. Or everything will just kind of fall into place. And that's not the case. We've already talked about grace in the fallen world. It's not the case. And again, if you interpret it that way, when pain doesn't go away, you also become a sufferer of the disappointment of feeling that either God has abandoned you or you haven't lived up to his expectations. Or you beat up yourself or you beat up God. That's what we do if we misinterpret this verse. When actually what it says is so much better than just saying God's greatest purpose is just to fix your life right here and now. A lot of people teach that. A lot of people even preach that. God is talking about here about something so much deeper and richer and bigger than that. He's talking about his relationship with you. His purpose for you, he says. Uh, according to his purpose, verse 28 <coughs> says, <coughs> excuse me, he's saying that whatever happens on this earth, I will deliver you from it eternally. It won't always be this way. That's the promise. He's saying, I will save you. There's things that go on now in this life, and it's inevitable. But by my grace, I've known you, I've predestined you, I've called you, I've justified you, and I will glorify you. That's the promise. That's the good that he's doing through all things. It's so much bigger and better than if, you know, imagine if you had a choice. Just have all your life put together perfect now, but you lose out on eternity, or go through this light momentary affliction, Paul calls it, for whatever's coming in the future. He's saying, I've started my plan for you from before the world existed. My plan personally for you. And nothing, even death from an invisible virus, could thwart that. Nothing. You know, the one gift you, know, you can never lose is God. And his grace. And that's what Paul's trying to remind us of today. We're, we might lose a lot of things through this season. You might already have lost some. We've lost distance of people. We know that. You can never lose him. And if you've been a recipient of his grace, you can never lose that. It cannot be stopped. So that's our second one. Grace that can't be stopped. Here's our third from Romans 8. Grace that can't be lost. Grace that can't be lost. You can't lose it. Nothing in this world, in the world, can undo Christ's redemption for you. Nothing. If you have trusted Jesus, nothing can undo it. Nothing can take it away. I got it. You think I lost it? No, I got it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> nothing can take it away. You can't lose it. Nothing in this world can undo Christ's redemption for you. Think about this. Can he take back for you the punishment that he already poured out on Jesus for you? Think about that. I believe that real punishment was paid out for real people and sinners, for the church, for the bride, for Christ's people. Can you imagine God taking that back? No. In all these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, he writes, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor isolating at home, nor not being able to see your loved ones right now, nor losing your job, nor loneliness, nor lack of hope, 
nor lack of disinfectant wipes, nor virus, or sadness, and depression, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that today? Take that truth to your heart today. Take it to your mind. Take it to the current situation you're living in. As I said, we're just barely skipping the surface of this Romans 8 passage today. Uh, Just barely. And we'll come back to it again. But you don't have to leave it. You can look at it later today. Read it later tonight. Look at some comments in your study Bible. Take these notes back and pull out and ask the Spirit. Ask Him personally. Speak to me through this passage. Counsel me through Romans 8. Uh, as we maybe even use it, uh, some of our questions that we've emailed out around our family dinner table or over the phone with a friend. Well, this leads us to our second comfort. Our first one was this idea of God's grace that's available, the comfort for that. Second one is this, the comfort of knowing God's presence today. We want to talk about it a little bit. The comfort of knowing his presence. As humans... Don't we promise many times in life to be there for the ones we love? To be there, to, to be faithful, to, uh, to say, I'll never leave you, I'll always be here. I mean, think about our weddings. We make vows, we put on rings to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We tell our kids, I, I won't be gone long, I promise, I promise you, I'll be right back. Or remember when we were, uh, young and uh, junior high and high school, we had those yearbooks and we wrote in them that little, remember it was KIT. Remember what that stood for? KIT, keep in touch. And we, I promise, I promise I'll, I'll be there this summer. I'll call you this summer. Don't worry about it. I'll be there. We have the best intentions in the world, don't we? As humans, we do. I think it's wired in us because we'll see something about God in a minute. But we have the best intentions in this world to always be there for those we love to make sure that our presence is always available. And I mean, think about it, now more than ever with technology and what we're doing now and Zoom and Skype and FaceTime and we have the technology to even t- try to think these promises, we can keep them even more. The best intentions. And when we are present for those we love, at its best when we're present, we are a picture of God's love and presence for us in humanity. God the Father, Son, and Spirit exist in Trinity eternal presence they've had together. And so when we're present with each other, we are a great uh, example of that. But as hard as we may try, remember I said Christians are really realistic. As hard as we may try, each and every one of us will at one day leave those we love, ultimately through death. Each and every one of us will never be able to to make do, to uh, make good on that promise to always be present. We don't have that power. We don't have that capability. You're limited. You're finite. And if this virus has shown us anything, it's shown us that. And that's why we need to be reminded today that only God is the eternally, ultimately present one. Think about this for a minute. How many generations have gone, have come and gone and passed from this earth, have promised to be present and have left? All of them. But what's the one thing that's remained on this earth? God's presence. It's been here through generation after generation. His presence is the one thing that remains. There's no greater gift. We, we sang it in that song, that new song David sang, if you were to lose all things in life, is, is his presence, is, is he the one greatest thing to you? 
There's no greater gift in the world than God giving himself in his presence to us. He's done it for all time. He's done it intimately in Jesus Christ. His presence is the one thing that remains if life were to strip everything from you, even the clothes on your back. Think about that. Kind of fits that song we sang, David. And let's be honest. This pandemic is going to do that for some people. It already has for some around the world. We might not be feeling it here in Canby that much, but you've seen the news of Italy, of England, of New York. I mean, there are real people losing real loved ones. What if it happens to you? Will his presence be enough for you? I don't mean that you'll be like some stoic, some stiff upper lip, upper lip, no feeling or emotions, just kind of phony happy. I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. I don't mean that. But if life pulls things from you, will you still have joy? We talked about that in First John the last couple weeks. Will it still have value? Will it still have meaning if all you have is his presence? I one time heard a person say, and maybe I've said this before, but it popped into my mind right now. If you were to arrive at heaven and, uh, and find out that all the good things were there, but Jesus' presence wasn't, would you still want to go? Would you still want to be there? It's a good question to ask to take that barometer of how important we view his own presence with us. Will you still have that joy and presence? I love what Paul said. Here's an example of Paul's words of this. Not being a stoic, feeling it, but having hope. He said in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Why? God's ever-present. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's the resiliency you need. That's the resiliency I believe we have to build up as a church more and more. Because this is just one thing, this self-isolating uh, and uh, you know, being apart and some of the things being pulled away. Uh, but I just think that we're facing times when Christians are going to have to have a thicker skin, be more resilient, because they know the reality of God's presence. Not stoic, not you know, ignoring the pain. That's not Christian. We live in a fallen world. David weeps. David mourns. Jesus mourns. The apostles mourn. But afflicted but not crushed. Perplexed but not despairing. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down even. Oh, but you can never be destroyed. God's presence is with you. Christian resilience by his presence is what Paul wants us to get. This is what every sufferer needs to remember today. It's why it's our big point too. Through my own season recently, Psalm 27 has become a refuge for me. It's a lament psalm. An honest lament that begins with such hopeful assurance. Such hopeful assurance. Kind of like Paul in those verses we just read. Hopeful assurance in the midst of this lament. Here's what David wrote. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This psalm of suffering, which if you go on to read it later today, I encourage you, Romans 8, Psalm 27, later today. This psalm of suffering begins with this magnificent, comforting thought. Because when we are in times of trouble, we've got to fill our minds with good theology. You have to. We must think right thoughts about God. Remember, we not only suffer the painful thing we're going through, but if your theology is bad, that's only going to add to your, the suffering. 
when you apply distorted thoughts about God to your situation. That's why David starts the psalm here. It's one of the enemy's greatest tools. Uh, It's why we're starting with God's character before we're going to get to his sovereignty in a minute. Because in moments of trial and suffering, um, the greatest tool the enemy tries to use is to get us to doubt God's character. Okay, I still believe he's all-powerful, and I I believe he exists, but look at what I'm going through. Can he really be good still? The enemy loves to get us to doubt God's character in moments of trials. So David starts the psalm with, who is God? What do I know about him? Right theology to inform a right-oriented heart. And David says here, not only is God light, as we learned in 1 John already last week, but he is my light, my salvation, personal language, my stronghold. Do you know that too? Can you say that with confidence now too on your couch at home? Do you know what David is saying here? My hope is a person, a personal God, a present God, the ever-present and real God. You know, and God, he may not give us the answer of why the world is going through this right now or what's going on in your life right now. But you know what? Our hope's not found in that. That's God's secret will that he doesn't want to reveal to us. But David gives us his revealed will here, his revealed truth here, knowing he's my light, he's my salvation, he's my stronghold, and he's mine. And you know what? Jesus said something similar about himself because he's God too. He said in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's this age, the age of life on earth. I am with you always. You know, we're such visual people, and we are materialists, whether we want to believe it or not as Christians. We're too much materialists because we see it. We can touch it. Uh, Hope isn't, you know, you don't hope in things you can see, we just heard. So focused on the material world as Christians even that we forget the spiritual. We forget the two realms. Jesus says it. I'm with you always, even right now. But I can't see him in this room. You can't see him in that room you're in. But he's here in this room, if his words are true. He's in your kitchen right now with you. He's in your living room right now with you. He's in your bathroom. I hope none of you are watching from your bathroom, but he's there. He's there. He is wherever you go. Because when he changes your heart, Paul Tripp also said this, he unzips you and gets inside. His presence. Presence means where you go, he goes. He's always with you. I mean, what could be more comforting to the lonely at home right now? The prisoner in prison. The widow, the widower. Stressed out mom who can't do even one more math problem at the kitchen table this coming week. What could be more comforting than knowing where you go, he goes? And to know that. I love a Corey Ten Boom Uh, one of the ladies who suffered in World War II and her family as Christians, protected and hid Jews, said this. It rings so true today. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. I mean, yeah, stock market, illness. If you look within, you'll be depressed. Hey, but that's what Hollywood tells you. Find Find it within you. But if you look at Christ, you will be at rest. 
That is so comforting. I mean, and somebody like Corey Ten Boom, our suffering compares nothing to what she's gone through or what, what she went through. God is ever-present. He's with you. Comfort in his presence. Where you go, he goes. Here's our third one. We're hit today. The comfort of knowing that God is sovereign. Human beings can't stand to feel out of control, can we? We cannot. We just can't stand to feel out of control. It's one of the marks, actually, of modernity, of our modern last couple hundred years, that we, by our ingenuity, which God has given us a lot of, our might, our strength, that we can harness all nature and and control it with our ingenuity and our technology and our our self-sovereignty, and then something microscopic and invisible comes along and pulls the rug out from under us. I know that I'm not alone in saying that I comfort myself by convincing myself that I have more control over my life, the people in my life, the things in my life, than I actually do. Are you tempted with that as well? If I can just say the right thing, buy the right product, exercise the right amount, budget just good enough, try harder and harder and harder, I can keep it all in control. Remember back in our Genesis series? Do you remember back months ago now? You and I weren't designed, one thing we learned, we weren't designed or created to be independent. We were not. That's the, the, that's the, the lie of the enemy. That's the message of modernity. Be your own God. Be your own self. You can do it all on your own. You and I are actually designed to live in God's boundaries, in his world, as stewards, as managers more than owners. That's how God made us. That's the, it goes down to the very core of your being. It's the way you were designed. As this camera was designed to do what it's doing right now, to, to get my picture to you it, it, and not to uh, grill a steak, <laughs> you and I were designed to be part of governing the world, part of managing it, not be ultimate sovereigns and rule it. You can't change what you were designed to be. That's why the tree of knowledge of good and evil was, so, was such a blessing, actually. You look at, we looked at that in Genesis and thought, why would God do that? Why would he put that tree there? It reminded them every day what they needed to be reminded of. You and I are not God. You cannot control everything. You were designed to live within God's boundaries in his world. Now, I'm not saying your choices don't matter. They do. You can make real choices in this life, and they have moral implications, and real-time, real-life implications. I'm, I'm not saying that's not true. It is true. We're moral agents that have responsibility in this world, and God's going to hold us accountable for them too. But suffering and trials, they make us realize that we're not in, as in control as we think we are. But for the Christian, it can become a blessing because in those moments, we're reminded that I'm not in control. God is. And I need that reminder every day. I think I wake up with a self-salvation project in my mind and heart every day. It's kind of our default nature. But when we do realize that God is in control every day in the middle of our trials, you know what it becomes? It becomes the doorway to realizing the, the, the bigness of God, the power of God, the grandeur of God, God's sovereignty or, or his providence is another word for it. It can be defined like this. It's from Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God, that our men's group is reading right now. He said, God's providence is his constant care for, 
and his absolute rule over all his creation, and here's what's important, for his own glory, oh, thank God, and the good of his people. That's a little, a simple good definition for this. Write it down if you want to. It'll be up there for a little bit. You know, the, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God is not just some heady, cold doctrine. It can be that if you don't apply it to your life. It's actually the doorway to peace in the midst of trials. Your greatest danger isn't actually your weakness or how small you are, how weak you feel. Your greatest danger is living under the delusion, actually, that you're the master of your fate, captain of your ship, sovereign over your own life. That's the greater danger. You know, I grew up in the church. Grew up in the church. And it wasn't until my 20s, really, that I heard about the sovereignty of God, that all things are under his domain and control and power. And when I finally learned this in my 20s, and I had a pastor who graciously took me to scriptures, I was so frustrated because I thought, wow, this would have helped me a lot in my teenage years of angst if I could have known this. Why didn't somebody tell me the Bible teaches this? It actually became for me a doorway to hope. It came about another time in my life when I learned about and first was exposed to this idea that God is sovereign. Another time in my life when I also had some mysterious health problems for me. Uh, and for me, this truth became the truth that I hung everything on in that time, as I'm trying to do right now. It became very practical, very quickly. And I wonder, has this recent virus, this recent situation or other trials in your life began to make you question, does God still see us? Is he still in control? I mean, would he allow this to happen in his world? What if things get worse for us? or for the church and our culture, will you still trust what God's word says? Will you have the resiliency to stand by what he says about himself? Here's what I want to leave you with today, and we're going to unpack this truth more next week. We don't have time to do it justice today. I just want to pique your curiosity, wet your whistle a little bit with this truth. God's rule is both global and personal. We're going to start there next week. It means he's not surprised by anything that comes into your life. Sometimes we have this picture of God, even as Christians, that he's sitting up there wringing his hands, just wishing he could do something, just wanting to, to do something, and, 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 and so passive and boxed in by us. He's not surprised by anything that comes into your life. In fact, any, all things Paul said, right? Was it, was it all things? It was. Any single event or things that come into your life has already passed through his hands. That's mysterious. This is challenging. So we're going to pack it more next week. That God brings things into our life that many times confuse us. Sometimes things that make it hard to reconcile who God says he is with what's happening in our life. And many times God's plans don't make a lot of sense to us. There's great mystery here. But let me say this. If God is not sovereign over every area of your life, even over the suffering, even over the evil that comes into your life, then when you need him most, he's not available to you then. And I would say actually then couldn't be trusted. He's in control from the global 
the kingdoms and the nations to the tiny sparrow and when it lives and dies. Oh, and there's great comfort in that. And we will unpack it more next week. Let's pray. Jesus, comfort the quarantine today. Comfort us by reminding us these truths of your grace, your presence, your sovereignty, your availability, your comfort, your salvation, and lift the hope of the quarantine this morning. Give us comfort, we pray. Give faith to those who are watching, maybe even new faith today, and strengthen and make resilient your disciples, Jesus, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.